Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of The New Standard. And you're checking out the program on September 7th, 2022, on the opening weekend of the NFL season. Of course, the NFL is starting tomorrow in earnest with a game between the Buffalo Bills and the world champion Los Angeles Rams, which sounds very weird to say world champion Rams. But anyway... Let's jump right into it. And listeners, as always, if you want to participate in the program, you can hit us up on YouTube. Do a search for The New Standard and Lance Williams or Neil Kulong. You can also, if you want to join the experience during podcasts, do a search in your podcast feeder, Apple Pods, Spotify, Google Pods, and do a search for The New Standard, a Steeler podcast for Steeler Nation with either one of our names, Lance Williams or Neil Kulong. What's up, Neil? How are you feeling this morning? I'm feeling great, Lance. I'm ready to dive into some exciting week one action here. All is good. It's a beautiful day. School has started, so there is no one in my house but me. I don't have to worry about hearing a kid yell at other people while playing a video game the way I usually do on Saturday mornings. So we're, we're excited here. Times have changed. I remember Saturday morning cartoons watching Scooby-Doo. Now you can play online video games with a person in France. Boy, things have changed. But before we hop into the program, I want to give a big shout out to my grandmothers. Three of my grandmothers have birthdays um, in uh, September, the first week of September. So I want to wish them a happy heavenly birthday. Also in Big Steeler news, Franco Harris's jersey was retired. What's your thoughts on uh, the Franco Harris jersey retirement? I I think there's a, it, it, an obvious nod to symmetry, considering yes. the 50th anniversary of the Immaculate Reception will happen this December in a game against the Raiders. I don't think that's a coincidence either, and it, it's something that the team I think is is doing in a diplomatic sense. My fear, and this is something maybe we can get into in another time. My fear was they were going to announce. Uh, the retirement of Ben Roethlisberger's number. Um, I'm not sure I would have been big on that, considering uh, the legends who have come before him who have not yet uh, achieved that honor. So um, overall, I I think the good thing about it is it it highlights a a good point in team's history that really was kind of the the beginning of everything uh, for the Steelers. It's a great player, a Hall of Fame player, um, a guy who retired, um, the the league's career leading rusher um we can get into why jim brown would have leveled anything that franco harris had said another time but um overall yeah it's it's the right move i think for now i mean you could line up probably five or six guys if you're only going to do one at a time you need a reason to do it and i think the 50th anniversary of the immaculate reception makes probably as much sense as anything else uh for a franchise that doesn't do it often the last time they did was mean Joe green in 2015 and he's mean Joe green. He doesn't need a time or a reason he should have been uh, the next one up. So for now, I I don't know. I mean, it's whoever comes next is really kind of what everybody wants to discuss me. I am just for, let's just celebrate the career of Franco Harris and um, the, the milestone achievement of the franchise at the point that he is most known, most well-known for. I'm good with that. Yeah, me too, and it, and, it, and it's and it's great to have a North Side guy uh, get his number retired. Being from Mexican War Streets, 
So it's great to see uh, Franco get his number retired. I have a T-shirt, Franco's Italian Army. Um, and so, yeah, it's great to see those guys get their just desserts, their just due. Um, you know, at the time, I was a frisky two-year-old running around uh, in the living room uh, thinking I was going to be the next uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. So congratulations to Franco Harris. But before we jump into our interview with Chris Rowling of Bengals Wire to break down the week one contest between the Bengals and Steelers. Uh, Neil, have you, uh, do, do you mess with your readers in the Wire network by putting out clerical errors? Or do you do, you do cut and paste mistakes just to rankle the fan base and get the fan base excited over the difference between a two in front of a name and a three and a cut and paste error? I mean, I think Mike Tomlin's explanation for uh, the depth chart, the quarterback position was absolutely incredibly funny. With the clerical error, it was cut and paste. I mean, it, it was funny. He doesn't care about the depth charts anyway. And this was just a nice little elbow to the side of the ribs of the fan base. I thought it was great. What's your thoughts on the clerical error that Mike Tomlin had? On the wire network, we work in clerical errors like some artists work in oil or clay. Um, I, I, I'll, I'll tell you this. I, I know the inner workings of this. I know how these things work. What he explained, how he explained it while funny, just because it's kind of like, hey, you have business problems too, like the rest of us schmoes. It, it's The way that they put it together, it's not as if Art Rooney... Omar Khan and Mike Tomlin sit down at a table and write it all out. Okay. This we're talking like a low level quality assistant coach and a media intern compile it, put it together and put it on the website. People are making this out to be way more than it really is. Okay. At the end of the day, it literally was, they copied and pasted the wrong depth chart because it's the exact same depth chart as it was in, in preseason week one, they didn't change anything on it. So it, it's not like it even matters. Tomlin said a couple of weeks ago, and we've talked about this in, in this spot, Lance, he puts little to no regard into the depth chart that he's releasing publicly. This is a coach who all but says he's not going to be completely forthcoming about injuries. He, he sat on his star running back having a list Frank sprain for a month. He didn't talk about that. Why is he all of a sudden pouring over the, the intricate details of a depth chart that's being released publicly? He doesn't want people to know that it, it's not critical to his job that that fans are aware of, of who the backup is for any position. It's not something he's invested in. And it happened. He has to answer for it. I'm sure he wasn't real happy about it. But it, in the end, it doesn't really matter. I don't think it, it's, you know, at the root of this, what it really is, it, it's the surprise by some that Kenny Pickett would be third team and Mason Rudolph would be second and then have that flip the next day. So it's like both people on the side of this, this ridiculous nonsense debate of, of where to put what mediocre quarterback on the Steelers, as far as the depth chart goes, both sides got a taste of it. And it's really both sides that are pushing the narrative and trying to use one thing or another to leverage their position. Basically, this is a, a microcosm of society today. <laughs> Whatever it is that furthers my agenda is what actually happened. In reality, this is, it, it's nothing. It's something stupid that has no value at all. Personally, I'm a little surprised that uh, Rudolph would not be the, the second quarterback. 
and we've talked about this. Uh, the listeners who are, are frequent guests in this program know I've said the value of the backup quarterback in game um, it is different than who the long-term starter would be. It's, it's not necessarily a lock that it would be uh, whoever is number two. That doesn't mean, though, that there's not a lot of value to having experience dressed and on the bench uh, during games. If that's not the way the Steelers want to go, though, okay, I get it. It's not the end of the world. I don't think it's that big of a deal. Um, I'm not overly surprised. It's just that's not what I would have predicted to happen. Yeah, I, I didn't see the pictures of Southside Laga with the documents laid out on Tomlin's desk. Uh, did you see those pictures as well for the conspiracy theory? You know, Tomlin's being investigated by the Justice Department is that, for is that where they're being hit? <laughs> yes, they're they're being hit in 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 uh, I hadn't thought of that Southside Laga. I guess that makes desk. sense. Southside yes. Laga. Southside <laughs> on his desk and. Uh, you know, the pictures, the nuclear codes are, um, yeah, sitting on Tomlin's desk. Not the damn depth chart that's released to the public. How people think that it, it's just, it's amazing. This is how myopic fans are. It, it has nothing to do with, they don't care about the fans. It's not that they don't want their support, but when they're trying to put together a game plan over 17 games, trying to assemble a roster, the opinions of the fan and even the knowledge of the fan is not of, of significant value. It doesn't matter when they say, we don't care what you think. This is what they mean. The depth chart is ceremonial. It's mandated by the league for the sake of giving the fans something to talk about. So they continue to talk about their product. It's something that coaches don't want to do. They don't give transparency into things like this to act as if this was some kind of, of error uh, beyond low-level people just not – they didn't put the right thing out. And it's probably something that nobody really sat and thought about, and that's why it, it was released the way that it was, and we didn't get any kind of comment on it until the next day. It shouldn't offend anybody. It absolutely should not be used as evidence of anything at all. It makes sense that Pickett would be the backup. They did not decide that based on Twitter's reaction following them putting out the depth chart. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And that, that's that's running out there right now. People are still talking about that. Of course, of, of course they did. And it's totally unacceptable that someone who would be hiding the nuclear codes at Southside Laga would make a clerical mistake with the depth chart but with that we're going to pivot and we're going to bring in our special guest we have chris rolling of bingles wire chris how are you doing this morning i'm doing great thanks for having me now real quick you cannot show um if there's a way for you your your camera we're only seeing a red background but we can hear you so it's it, it's all good uh, well, I, want, I want to dive right into it. Um, and the first thing I want to say is, is, is thank you for coming on to break this down. But the first thing that jumps out at me when I think about this game is 65 to 20, which <laughs> was the combined score last year between the Bengals and Steelers. I mean, Burrow, when you look at those games last year, was absolutely outstanding. 34, 42, 362. 8.6 yards per attempt, four TDs, 114 rating. He played fantastic football against the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think some of the big news out of Bengals world um, is this restructured and retooled 
offensive line. So before I get into my first question for you, um, who's going to win or who won the left guard uh, backup, the left guard starting position? So that would be fourth round rookie Cordell Volson, who I think Neil will tell you is from a uh, legendary university. Go yeah. um, He beat Jackson Carmen, who was a 2021 second round pick and is the team's newest Billy Price bust. Um, so he's going to get this the starting job there. And coach is kind of just stressed. It's because he's so consistent, which is fine. I don't know how high quality level of play that's going to be and how much Jonah Williams at left tackle is going to have to help him compensate, though. He is one of four uh, upgrades across the offensive line. So, yeah, with that being said, you have Collins, Kappa, uh, Karras, and the new guy, Volson. So so how do you think this is going to look game one? Break that down. That's my first question. Because when I look at every football game, it comes down to two big P's. Uh, it, it's protection, and, and and that's one of them. And, and break it down. How do you think the Steelers will be able to attack this Bengals O-line? How will this O-line stand up? Um, I think it's going to be ugly. I think the Steelers are going to make some headway there that people aren't expecting because uh, the bar for the, you know, Bengals fans and media like to talk about how there was four upgrades out of five positions, but the bar was on the floor to the point where a toddler could step over it after last year's line. So, um, you know, Volson is a fourth round rookie and Karras is good, but one of the things people are kind of overlooking is Kappa had a late start to the training camp because of a nagging injury. And at right tackle, Leo Collins was really only activated for the final week of training camp. So they haven't had a lot of chemistry and reps together, which is usually pretty important. And I think I really, I not to nag on Volson, but I think he's going to have a hard time with guys like Cam Hayward. He's a fourth round rookie. I mean, Steelers know full well what that's like. I mean, <laughs> in fact, their, their last year's fourth round rookie starting, uh, starting left tackle it might be worse this year from what we've seen so far. Um, it, I, I don't think it's improved really, but it, protection overall is about the whole unit. It's not just the skill of the guys blocking and what, what Cincinnati has in reference to the Steelers, uh, what they don't along their offensive line is some uh, continuity, at least at the quarterback position at the receiver positions and uh, running back. That's important. You know, it, it's good to, to see the Steelers get a year out of Najee Harris. He's going to understand protection a little bit better. Uh, they're, they're, overall, their offensive line has another year of experience, but now you've got a new quarterback. Um, that, and, and again, a new coach. That's you know more consistent for them uh, over the last four years than, than it was when they had the same coach. But it, it, overall, I don't think it's an issue for Cincinnati so much if you have a, a quarterback who's used to knowing – what to do, and if they they open it up a little bit more. They didn't give Burrow a whole lot of opportunity to really change stuff. I think we saw that um, in nightmarish fashion against Tennessee in, in the playoffs. He got sacked nine times, and there were times where it was like, I, I'm, a, I'm a backup high school quarterback. I could see that this is something you need to check <laughs> out of because they, they've got 10 guys in the box, and Burrow doesn't do anything. They're overloaded on one side to the point where Bud Dupree even got a sack. I don't know if he was even playing in that game. They credited him with the sack. <laughs> it, it, when you have it, it, when you have situations pre-snap that your quarterback is either not seeing, not reading or recognizing, or is not allowed to change, you're going to have more protection issues than you probably should. It's not your offensive line just failing to block three guys coming over their gap. You, you need to have all of that together. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if I was supposed to go on that tangent or not, but what I wanted to know, Chris, was uh, more about Joe Mixon. While while 
uh, Joe Burrow had uh, two outstanding games. We'll call it six quarters. I mean, at least one of the two games was well over by halftime. I'm not sure they really even tried in the right. second half of that second game. Yeah. But Mixon is is a player I've been waiting to kind of see break out. I think you and I have, have had conversations along those lines. He looked every bit of what I thought that he could be as a player against the Steelers last year. 46 carries, 255 yards. That's five and a half a carry and two touchdowns against against Pittsburgh, which, again, they really played six quarters of football. Um, do you think Mixon is on pace for that kind of, of – 17 game season something that would elevate him into the conversation of, of best in the game I think he's there yeah I think I think overall he had over you know 1200 1300 rushing yards last year and I, th- I think he only played 16 games and if you look at the advanced numbers since he's entered the league he's always right near the bottom of the starters as far as uh yardage before contact so I think that's going to be their heavy emphasis this year is is pounding it a lot more. I think that's what's going to happen week one a lot. They're going to try to impose their will here because one of those things that people aren't talking a lot about is Burrow ruptured his appendix, right? His training camp started. And then in his first media meet was talking about, Hey, I'm scrambling like high school to put weight back on my frame. So I think they're going to worry about the disruption of the timing and Burrow's pocket presence and comfort. I think it's going to be a huge mixing game. And I think, you know, for those who did overlook Mixon's season last year, I think he's he's definitely on track to be one of those top five, top ten guys. Already inter- two numbers for you over and under twenty two carries, a hundred yards from scrimmage. What are you betting on? Week one? Yeah. Over. For both? I think so. Yeah. I, they're gonna try to impose it. I don't know if that means they'll win, but I think they're gonna try to impose it. Yeah, and get that line comfortable. Because if they if that line falls back and starts having bad pass blocking reps, everything is kind of going to fall apart. It's interesting that you say that because when I was looking at this game, and, and given the fact that Cincinnati's line is basically new, and you have four guys that really haven't played much football together, you know, my thought in terms of the Steelers' defense going up against this Bengals' offense was, could the Steelers hold up? Uh, not having to commit extra numbers to defense the running game. And Neil, I think, pointed it out really well that Mixon really had his way with the Steelers um, in the second ball game. Um, how do you think that's going to turn out? I mean, in the second game, it was pretty embarrassing, you know, what Cincinnati was able to do in terms of the running game against the Steelers' defense. Um, how do you think it's going to look? And what happens in this game if – Cincinnati runs it okay. What does it look like from an offensive perspective? Well, I think if Cincinnati runs it okay, they'll control the pace and probably escape with the win. But I think it's just one of those things where it's got to start early um, because you're not going to be able to run from behind a lot, with even with a guy as talented as Joe Mixon. Um, I was actually – I don't know how you guys feel about this, but Tyler Boyd was talking yesterday about how Brian Flores is in Pittsburgh now. And he said, Pittsburgh's not usually a man blitz team, but he didn't know what to expect from the defense. And if they were going to throw a lot of those looks out there, I don't know what Flores' overall impact on the Steelers defense is as far as that sort of thing goes. But I think if the Steelers disrupt a little bit early, it's it's going to take the running game out of it. And that's probably bad news for this offensive line that hasn't pass blocked a lot together. Not hearing a whole lot of optimism out of you, Chris. Bengals are six and a half point favorites at home. It's probably going to be an emotionally charged game. 
I don't give the and okay, I'll go you on the record. We saying, here, so I, yeah, but I I ripped <laughs> the Steelers' chances last year in Week One against Buffalo about as badly as I'm ripping their chances against Cincinnati this year. <laughs> I don't. It, last year's game against Buffalo was an absolute gong show. No no clue how they managed to pull that out. I don't think they're going to be able to witness lightning striking twice in the same place. I I think Pittsburgh just they're not going to be able to get anything together offensively i i could see um in in some manner of speaking cincinnati not coming out of the gates uh all that hot but it, it, this this to me has a lot of makings of like a 20 to 13 Bengals win but what are your thoughts i kind of look at it as a trap game for the Bengals. i i i'm higher than most i guess on the steelers offensive weapons around the quarterback i think the internet likes to meme and have fun with that quarterback situation and the depth chart shuffling by it's funny interns, <laughs> but I think the weapons around the quarterback are really good in Pittsburgh. And I think it's going to be a little closer than people think. I think that line chemistry is an issue for the Bengals and, you know, on defense, they didn't have Bates all summer. Uh, Eli Apple was out hurt. Their second round pick who's supposed to help a cornerback is that on IR now. I think there's just, there's enough rusty. I, the thing I lean on a lot is we're kind of in that era now where there's only three preseason games and nobody plays starters. And the Bengals played zero starters across the board, unless you count their first round pick, Dax Hill, which we can, I guess. But, uh, you know, even the coaches are talking about him coming in pretty rusty into week one, even on the defensive side of the ball. So I just I view it a little more of, of a trap game as compared to other people, I guess. Let's jump to that side of the ball, uh, the Bengals D versus Steelers offense. I mean, one thing I noticed in the two matchups, it was just obviously you know, the Steelers only scored 20 points, really struggled on third down. Um, ben was awful, I thought, in both games, sacked seven times through four picks, had a rating of 68.6 through a pick six, basically through basically two pick sixes because one of them was returned, I think, to the five-yard line. I think at least at the bare minimum, you'll get better quarterback play uh, from the Steelers in this matchup. But the Steelers are coming into this game sort of like the Bengals with an offensive line that has some questions. And I think that's being kind if you think about the Steelers offensive line that that has some significant <laughs> questions. When you when you're looking at this and you were talking about the Steelers um, offensive weapons around the quarterback, how do you think the Steelers will go after uh, and, and attack this Bengals defense? Well, I'm assuming they'll they'll try to just get the quick hitters off in the passing game and let the receivers do the work. I mean, I don't think you're going to see a repeat of Najee Harris getting held to 2.9 yards per carry again either. I think the more of a threat in the passing game will open the things up on the ground for him, and I, I think that's their best shot. I don't think they're going to beat the Bengals deep with Bates still patrolling the middle or anything dramatic like that, but there's winnable matchups on the outside, and if you can get the ball – in a receiver's hands creatively, whether that's on end arounds or something, I think, you know, they're going to try to just keep the, the field open for that sort of thing. You know, Bates was somebody I wanted to, to hop into a little bit as well. And you, you touched on kind of the larger point that I was going to make. Um, I, I just spoke about this on a, a radio spot earlier this week. The level of play in week one around the NFL is is the last five, six years has been remarkably poor in in a lot of cases in my opinion to a point where 
it looks to me almost like it's preseason week four. Right? Yep. It, it, not that teams want to throw away games or anything, but they're not ready. And it, it seems like if we were to, to mix our metaphors here and, and dive into boxing, it just seems like a heavyweight fight in which both fighters are, are willing to not do anything in round one to feel out what's going to happen. Not even so much for their opponent's sake, but for their own. What are they able to do? What type of team are they really? So when you say uh, three preseason games, teams don't play their starters, which I, you know, by and large, I agree with. My impression, looking around the league in week one, the last couple of years, every team looks rusty. Every team looks kind of confused. They're not where they're going to be. And it almost seems like they accept that. When you get a guy like Bates, who wasn't involved in training camp at all, uh, there's some issues surrounding him as far as his long-term future. What type of player should we expect to see on the field uh, coming from the, the the deep third, the deep half of the field um, in regards to what Jesse Bates is doing? I, th- I think you see quality play. It's just, it's really hard to nail down with him because last year he had an extremely mediocre season for a lot of the year. And he even openly talked about, you know, some of that was attributed to his contract drama that was going on in the background. And then he suddenly turned it on for the playoffs and was playing like an all pro up to the Super Bowl. So I don't know going into week one, whether the rust is going to show and the communication issues are going to show because he missed the majority of training camp, or if it's going to be like the playoffs where he had something to really fight for and he's just playing out of his mind. I, you know, I don't know if the contract situation is going to help him produce that elite level play consistently for 17 games. I think he's going to be that rangy guy who tries to shut down things all over the field. In Cincinnati, we kind of gave him the nickname of a, a, a fireman because he runs around just putting out as many fires as possible. And I don't know if he's going to be able to stop that, you know, because of Pittsburgh's vast amount of weapons at the skill positions right now around the quarterback. I think on both sides of the ball, we talked about the the protection issue and just how critical pass protection and offensive line for both teams will be. Um, What is a matchup? I'm looking at the Hendrickson versus Moore matchup. What's a matchup that you think is one in which uh, Cincinnati at least up front from a protection standpoint, we'll be able to take advantage of the Steelers. And if you flip the side on the other side of the ball, um, what, what's the matchup in terms of protection of a Steelers defender going up against a Bengals offensive lineman that you think will be very big in this game? Well, I think, I think I'm interested to see what the, what the Steelers do when the Bengals roll Jamar Chase to the slot, because that's one of those things They've talked about evolving the offense this offseason because everybody's kind of got the film from last year and knows what they're going to try to do. So one of the things they're implementing a lot of is Jamar Chase in the slot. So whoever shades him, Neil will know this better than me, but whoever shades him to the slot, I think, is a key matchup there if we ignore Volson. I don't know. who Neil, who is that? Um, I couldn't tell you offhand. Um, so that's fine. Me, I just me, whoever they decide to throw there. You know, it, it, they're, they're just going to do a lot of different things. They're going to have a lot of different guys, in a lot of different spots. I, yeah. I agree with you. I, I would think um, they would like to get Cam Hayward um, slashing in on on Bison legend Cordell <laughs> Volson as much as humanly possible. Um, 
I don't think there are a whole lot of guards in the league that are, you know, going to lazily walk into a matchup against Cam Hayward. But right. um, it, it's not something you can do all the time without, you know, kind of giving away what you're going to do and learning how to, to, you know, run a gap over uh, for where he's going to be if he's cutting inside. So there, there's value to the idea. Um, the, I'll say this. Bengals offensive line is probably at lesser of an advantage uh, versus the the Steelers defense Bengals offensive line versus Steelers defensive line. I would give that to the Steelers. And I think I would give that to the Steelers in most of the games they're going to play. They have a good defensive line. What you hit on though, I think is, is more of what Cincinnati's strategy is going to be as well as the strategy of a lot of teams, get the ball short, get the ball out of your quarterback's hands. Don't let the team that, you know, in, in many ways lives and dies with sacking the quarterback have those opportunities. I mean, there's going to be times that you need to drop five and seven, but if you limit that and you're able to control uh, the spacing on the field, if you're able to get it wide out to, to playmakers and let them do their thing, um, I, I think you'll probably be okay overall against this defense, um, really against any defense. If, if you're consistent with that um, high percentage throws, low turnover rate, and the, the X factor in this game, I think is Jamar Chase. You get an, a beast like that guy, uh, any depth, any level, any route, he's able to make a play, and he's probably going to. I don't see how the Steelers are going to stop him because players like that are not stopped by one guy. You need a, an entire team defense to be able to do that, which is why I think it, it opens things up for Mixon probably a little bit more. You can go the other way uh, on the field from where Chase is and, and kind of take away from uh, a, a secondary being able to overload uh, where – Chase is, and eventually that opportunity is going to open up. Burrow is going to see it, and boom, they're they're going to hit on big plays that uh, uh, Pittsburgh's going to have a, a a real tough time defending. It's interesting that you say that, Neil, because Chris, I want to ask you: if the Bengals win this game, what does Jamar Chase's stat line look like? Who, <laughs> man, I don't know. Sixty yards on the score. I it's it's hard because you know T Higgins is the other guy who people claim could be a number one on other teams, and he's he's equally capable we saw it last year in the 41 to 10 final when chase only had 39 yards and higgins put up 114 in a score so i i would assume he's he hovers around the 60 yard mark with a score if the bengals are winning and by the way that was a push off against uh, <laughs> james pierre in the corner of the end zone and uh <laughs> i agree was that the second TD? I, uh, it was it, one of the many where, TDs. I, I'm not. Yeah, exactly. I'm trying to count which it one. It all blurs together, it. doesn't it? Yes, yes, <laughs> I, yes, it does. I think offensive pass interference is maybe the most misunderstood uh, penalty in the at, at the NFL level for what the definition of it is. Chase, it, it's it. The penalty is not that he's not allowed to, quote, push off. He has to gain a significant advantage from doing it. They push off all the time. They use each right. other for leverage. They're battling up and down the field. They're Both of them are doing things that violate the letter of the law uh, in what they're doing. But the, the key thing is remembering it needs to, to create a competitive advantage for the guy that's doing it. He didn't do that. James Pierre was out of position like he usually is. It's not, <laughs> not nothing that nothing that Chase did really changed anything for Pierre. He wasn't where he was supposed to be. I mean, at that point in the game, I I, I don't know I don't if it mattered. Throw a flag, it, then or whatever. You know, I, I don't I don't know if it mattered at that point. But Chris, before we let you go, of course, we have to get a prediction, and it's interesting to hear you talk about this game because I think for all three of us, 
I think it's 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 boiling down to the protection issue, the offensive lines, how they're going to play. Um, is Hendrickson versus Moore a bigger advantage for Cincinnati than, let's say, Williamson versus Highsmith or this protection issue and this whole week one issue about how inconsistent the football is in week one? So I want to put you on a spot real quick here. Give me a prediction for, and I'm going to get yours, Neil, later when we go, when we uh, go back into it and, and keep talking about the game. But before we get you out of here, Chris, um, give me your predictions um, uh, for this particular game. Give me a score. And um, that six and a half points, does that sound about right to you? I think it sounds right. Yeah, I think Vegas is usually on the money for the Bengals. And uh, I, I think – you, you give me the Bengals 24 to 20. I, I could see that sort of outcome where the first half is kind of just like a feeling out period where everyone's really rusty. I think eventually you can't escape Jamar Chase kind of making a game breaking play. I think he's probably already a top three player at his position. And I think that's yep. an inevitability. I think the Steelers are a lot better than people are giving credit though for. And I think besides the, the big chase play, you're just looking at a heavy mixing game. That's almost a little boring, but yeah, give me give me the Bengals at home 24-20, I would think. Before we let you go, Chris, uh, what do you guys got going um, on the Bengals wire for the rest of the week in terms of Steelers week? Because I know in Bengal Nation, it's Steelers week. So what do you got going on the site for Steelers week? Well, yeah, we got a little bit of that little brother syndrome still going on, I think, even after last year's results, given the uh, historical discrepancies here. So, we're, we're carefully scanning everything Steelers players and coaches say, and we're, we're watching that depth chart. We're, we're F5 and refreshing it as much as possible for <laughs> any good. drama. It might, it might change any minute. We don't know. <laughs> so depending on what your interns do over there. Um, but, yeah, other than that, we're just running our, our general previews, and we're going to see what, how the fans are reacting and how they're predicting it because I'm sure, as usual, I'm going to get a little heat from Bengals faithful for, for being a little negative here, but – I'm I'm not on the week one hype train, clearly. <laughs> well, thank you, Chris, for hopping onto the program. Uh, hopefully we can do this again when they play again later in the year. So, Chris, we're going to go ahead and let you go. Thank you for hopping onto the program. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. Thanks, it's refreshing Chris. to uh, talk about something that isn't Aaron Donald dual wielding helmets in practice. So. That's a, a legendary moment. It's a memory <laughs> we'll all enjoy. Uh so Neil, Lance, I got some breaking news here. Okay. Um, Steelers PR department just tweeted out the Steelers have signed wide receiver Jakari Roberson to the practice squad and placed linebacker Hamilcar Rashid on the practice squad injured list. That means basically nothing for this game short of the slight possibility that my boy streetcar Hamilcar uh, might have been called up for this game. I wouldn't have expected that to happen. Um, but he's not going to now. I don't know how the practice squad injured list works off the top of my head. So, uh, And I have no idea who Jakari Roberson is. So to be honest, we probably just could have saved this breaking news update, but it just happened to come in, in perfect timing with what we're doing here. You know, Hamilcar, you said Hamilcar Rashid? <laughs> yeah. That sounds like a uh, a variety of a radish. Really? It, it, it does. Like, I, I, I'd i like to add some Hamilcar radish in my uh, salad. You know, can you dice that up finely? You know, I love the texture that it adds to my arugula. I mean, I, that name is one of the most incredible names ever. But, Neil, 
But Neil, this game, I, I, I thought Chris brought up some really good points. I mean, and I thought you brought a really good point about how week one is essentially preseason week four. Um, that you see a lot of inconsistent football, and week one doesn't really tell you much about the state of some of these teams for a majority of the teams. And it was interesting to hear that, you know, he kind of had that sentiment that he kind of felt that this offensive line for the Bengals was a work in progress um, and and that that might show up uh, in this opening game. If you look at the Steelers um, defense versus the Bengals offense, is there a matchup uh, that you want to highlight and talk about it'd be cam versus bison legend cordell volson for sure i mean it's you're, you're talking i mean I'm, I'm if i take the bison hat off put it off to the side you're talking about a rookie going up against uh a, a, an all decade level player who's still playing very well and has been uh early in the last couple seasons um the amount of times they are able to get hayward on volson especially in in the passing game is going to determine a lot of the success for the Steelers defensively. Simply, even Volson, he's a rookie. I'm not trying to, to rip the guy or anything like that. Um, they did the same thing against Dan Moore and Kendrick Green last year. We saw it. it you know, it, there, there's a level of inexperience um, that isn't helpful, especially early in a season. And I think things like that are why um, we see teams come out so flat in week one. I'm not talking just the Steelers. I'm not talking... Uh, just their history but looking around the league there are a lot of shit show games you know you, you see just ugly stuff with that that staple 19 to 16 preseason score <clears throat> teams I, I don't think teams get enough physicality in training camp to really know who they are and I don't think that they are able to garner a whole lot off of film from the previous year to know who their opponent is and with that, I think really what this boils down to is two teams that play fairly conservative uh, in week one. We don't see a whole lot from either one of them. And we aren't neither team is really sure what to, to expect. The point that I was making on on the radio spot about this was it, it's I don't want to call it a, a preseason week four game. But at the same time, if, if Mike Tomlin sat down right now and said he knows exactly who his team is today, he's lying. You couldn't possibly know a whole lot about your team when you've never played a regular season game with your quarterback. All right. A team like Cincinnati might have a little bit more advantage in that regard, but just like Chris pointed out, they don't know their offensive line. You can go out and get an upgrade of talent, but I'm telling you now protection is not entirely on your offensive line. It's on your tight ends. It's on your running backs and it's on your quarterback. And to be honest, it, it, I, I know everybody loves Joe Burrow. He's the greatest thing in the world. He was given all credit for their Super Bowl run, despite not being the guy who deserved all of the credit for that. They did not let him call protections at the line of scrimmage. They did not let him audible. I don't think that's because they're stupid. I think it's because he's not ready to do that yet. So I'm curious to see how far they've come with that because the Steelers in week one, they're going to notice those kinds of things. They're going to, to try to be more confusing, try to be a little bit more, um, you know, polarizing for a guy like Burrow to go up to the line of scrimmage. If he is allowed to call out protections, if he's allowed to shift things and change things, 
or if he's incapable of doing that. I don't know which one it is. I just know when you watch the Tennessee game last year, you're going to see a lot of situations that any quarterback would know you need to do something about this, and he didn't. I don't know why that is. If he's still doing that, though, the Steelers are going to run him over simply because they are used to doing exotic things. They have the personnel to do that. They've built themselves to do that. Lance, you and I have talked. They're, they're going to probably play a lot of dime. I, I think we're going to see a lot of defensive backs on the field, and we're going to see those slot corner blitzes again. So if, if Burrow is not able or he's not allowed to shift anything around, to change anything based on what they're doing, Steelers might get a chance to, to you know take some possessions away that they otherwise wouldn't have. I'm not sure if they're willing to do that in week one, though. That's why I think really – this smells to me like 16-13. I could see the Steelers with a late cover in this one, but I think the Bengals are going to win it. So that's your prediction? Is that your score? You're going to throw that out as well? 16-13 Bengals? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm comfortable with that. This game is interesting. I mean, I, I thought Chris did a fantastic job talking about the protection issues. You know, Hendrickson versus Moore. I mean, that's about as bad as Volson versus Cam Hayward. I mean, honestly, flip a coin. Both matchups are clearly in the favor of Cincinnati in terms of Hendrickson and in, in terms of the matchup of Cam Hayward. It's clearly to the advantage of the Steelers and Cam Hayward. I think what's going to be interesting in this game, and the reason why I'm picking the Steelers in this game is because, of course, I'm a Steeler fan. You know, I'm, so I have to pick the Steelers. No, that's not it. A new offensive line and a quarterback being out for some time and not working with this offensive line. We talk about it ad nauseum. I mean, offensive line and pass protection is it's like you know a pitcher and a catcher. It's that battery. It it has to work right. Uh, the quarterback has to trust his protections. Um, you know, you have to trust your offensive line, so on and so forth. So. It, it it I think this is a case where and, and one thing I don't think people are mentioning is one of the biggest skills I think that Joe Burrow has is his ability is his pocket mobility and his ability to move in the pocket and run um, and, and create extra plays extra hit and yardage and I think that showed up a lot in the game against the Steelers that although the Steelers had only two sacks there were numerous times in which he was able to escape the pocket, make something with his legs. And he did that a lot in the playoffs as well. You know, I don't know coming off this injury, not playing a lot of football, you know, what that's going to look like. I think that's not going to look like it did last year when he was extremely elusive in the pocket and running that's around. Fair. That's um, a fair I, point. Let, let's so, keep in mind, too, I wanted to point this out when, when Chris was talking about it. Um, lest we forget, Ben Roethlisberger had ap emergency appendectomy surgery leading into week one back in 2006. Burrow had a lot more runway, obviously, but as somebody that was in Jacksonville for week two when Ben started, he was garbage that game. That that was it, to that point. That was the, his worst game as a pro, easily. Really, I think that was the last time the Steelers got shut out too. Um, I think. Well, somebody looked that up. When When's the last time the Steelers got shut out? I think week two versus Jacksonville, 2006. But he wasn't good. It, it is an injury that, or I should say the surgery itself, it, it's not 
the surgery itself that's the complication. It's the fact that you can't eat, you don't want to eat, and you're going to lose weight quickly. Uh, when you're a professional athlete, every ounce counts. And if Burrow is saying that he can't put weight back on, I'm curious how much of that is kind of, you know, slow handing his, his opponents. But uh, it, we'll, we'll see how strong he is. We'll see uh, if he's able to escape the way that you mentioned, Lance. Because, yeah, that was definitely against the Steelers. That was definitely a factor. He, he scored on a touchdown early. Um, he noted, I think it was either the touchdown or the setup to the touchdown. He noticed he had numbers on one side and it, it was a pass call. And he just took it and ran because it was obvious that there was seven, eight yards on the board. Will he be willing to do that? Is he going to be as, as quick and as nimble as he's been? Um, it, yeah, that that kind of stokes my optimism a little bit. It, 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 Chris made a good point. I hadn't really considered that as much. Let's uh, let's see what they come out with. But it, top to bottom, I, I just think Cincinnati is is the better team overall. And, and people want to think Pittsburgh's offense is finally reformed when we're talking about the game against Cincinnati. When we break it down to the offensive line level, everyone's talking up and down how it's the worst unit in the league. Both of those things can't be true, in my opinion. You're not if, if the Steelers are in, in mid-season form offensively right now, this is going to be a long year. Okay. They're, they, I, I, I see no reason at all to expect this offense to work well early. In fact, I didn't go as far as to bet two of the first three series are going to be three and outs. And that those are the scripted plays. They're going to get a little bit, I think, on, on one drive, but there's some stuff that isn't going to work. It's going to put them into to difficult spots. And to Chris's point, while while the Steelers have some good skill players, their, their quarterback, I don't know, and their protection, really, we have nothing to be optimistic about for where we're sitting leading into week one. Yeah, that's going to be interesting that you said about the punting um, in two of the first three drives, because I believe last year with Ben, the Steelers punted on the first five or six drives, I think so. But, but, but I, but, you know, hope springs eternal, particularly in week one. And I'm going to take Chris's score and flip it and say that the Steelers go to Cincinnati. Not only do they cover, they win the game straight up 24, 20. And I think it's going to really remind us, of the Buffalo game from last year. It's going to be one of these weird games where they take advantage of that week one and that newness of another team with a defensive unit that's really good at getting pressure. And they're going to catch Cincinnati literally at the right time. So I'm going with 24-20 Steelers. Neil is going with 16-13 Bengals. But before we go ahead, and so that's our prediction for week one, I want to jump into something else with you, Neil. Before we end the program, I want to just do something fun because we have not talked about this. We have not given our predictions going into the season in terms of the playoffs, Super Bowl champs, and all that stuff. And we might as well do it as we go into week one. So let's jump on the AFC side and let's get through this pretty quickly. Uh, give me your AFC division winners. That's <laughs> really quick. You're going to drop that on me. Yes, um, I, I I like the Bills in the East. Um, pretty obvious. I like the Ravens in the North. I think they have a bounce back year. Um, they'll they'll take that. I don't think Cincinnati is going to work quite as well overall uh, than, than people think that they will. Out West, man, that that's such a that's such a crapshoot. I think they're going to just bludgeon each other. Um, 
where we sit now, I'm going to go with Kansas City. But really, I think all four of those teams are in play late into the season. And in the South, I, Indianapolis is, is going to be the best coach team. But I don't think it's too crazy to say Jacksonville uh, makes a run at it. I think Indianapolis is probably just going to beat them out with experience by the end of it. But uh, Jacksonville is going to make that competitive. Um, I, I'm, I'm going with the Colts, but I really want to say Jacksonville right now. They're my team this year. I'm going to agree. I'm going to agree with your division winners in the AFC. I'm going to go with those division winners. Now, there's three wild card teams, correct? Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, yes. So I, I think the wild card uh, teams will be uh, the Chargers, uh, the Titans. With under Vrabel, the Titans figure out how to win, and, 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 and they figure out how to win some way. And I got one more team I want to pick. I'm going to say I'm going to say the Bengals. I'm going to say the Bengals. So I, I think the Bengals will be the other wild card. And I'm saying on record that I don't think the New England Patriots are going to make the playoffs. Who are your wild card teams from the AFC? My wild card, I'm going with Cincinnati. Uh, I think they'll be a competitive team. I just don't think they're better than Baltimore this year. To, I, I like what Miami's doing. I'm not sure they're there. I'm not betting on the Titans for anything. I don't know why you are. Um, shit, two of them might come from the West. The Raiders are, are a solid team overall. I think that, that Josh McDaniels is the, probably one of the two or three best offensive coaches in the game. You're going to see a lot of good things out of them this year. Um, I, I can't bet against the Chargers either. So I, I, I'd go Raiders, Chargers, and... Um, Bengals. Okay, so you're almost saying the the entire the entire West on the NFC side. Give me your division winners. NFC, I think, is a bit tougher. NFC is just really wide open. Um, we don't have a great feel for anything. I will say this: I think Philadelphia is a much better team than what people um, outside of Philadelphia are giving them credit for. Uh, I'm very excited about the moves that they've made. I think they're going to be a very competitive team. They'll, I think they'll win the East. I um, agree. You just, it, it's, it's difficult betting against Aaron Rodgers. Um, that, that's the only thing holding me back. But I think, I think Minnesota rebounds very well this year. I, I think they're going to win the division um, just by and large because I think they have the right nucleus in place. And I think Mike Zimmer drove down a lot of things on that team. Um, I'm in Minnesota. I hear about it a lot more than I do other teams. It just really sounds like it was a bad environment there last year. And they were still fairly competitive. I think they've got players at, at a lot of different positions that can play. I, I, they can put what they need to put together defensively and they'll have an effective offense. Um, I, I think Minnesota wins the North in the I'm South. Gonna go with, I'm not I'm going to go with the Packers in the North. Okay. Um, hard to bet against Tampa Bay in the South. Um, I will say this with all the shit that's going on around Tom Brady right now, it, Players, players who are uh, allegedly involved with those kinds of domestic situations don't tend to play very well. Um, I, I wonder if this isn't kind of the, the down year before Brady finally does retire. It doesn't sound like things were all that smooth on the home front, and that, that's got to be distracting. So I can't bet against them, but I, I wonder if they're not like a nine-win team in a bad division. Uh, no faith in Carolina, no faith in Atlanta. I don't know why people have as much faith as, as they do in the Saints, but I think the Bucs can beat those teams. They can go 5-1 and one against those teams and win the division. Out West, I think it's still the Rams division. Um, they're they're probably the, the best all-around team in the NFC. 
um, I'd be good with them. <laughs> do you want to do wild cards? No, nah, we don't have to do wild cards. Give me your, give me your, give me your Super Bowl matchup. Shit, my Super Bowl matchup in September. Um, yes, absolutely. Power rankings. You know I, we do. I like power rankings and Super Bowl predictions are two totally different things. <laughs> They're both nonsensical. Would people kill me if I said Philadelphia? <laughs> would I get the, killed if I said Philadelphia in the NFC? Uh, go ahead and say it. Jalen Hurts, baby. I, I like what Hurts does. More than anything, I love the way they've set him up. They they are taking perhaps not the most physically talented passer in the NFL, and they're putting him into very winnable situations, and they've put great pieces around him. There are good players in Philadelphia. A.J. Brown is a stud. They got him for nothing. That that's a steal. Another brilliant move by Tennessee and their collapsing dynasty. Um so, are, so are they good picking, enough to beat the Rams? So you're picking Steelers and Eagles? Steelers, yeah. No, the Steelers are not going to the Super Bowl this year. <laughs> Out of the AFC, AFC is highly, highly competitive. Um Bills are the easy pick, right? I mean, that, that's kind of who everybody's picking. I'm going to say this, and people are really going to hate me for this. I think it's going to be Baltimore. I think Baltimore is going to walk away, um, mostly because I think they have the most upside yet surprisability. I think you know what you get with with Buffalo, and I think they are. It, it is possible to stop Buffalo's offense, and I don't think that they have all that that opportunistic of a defense. I think John Harbaugh is good enough of a coach to, to outmaneuver Sean McDermott um, in, in a playoff game. I like the Ravens' chances, um, whether that game will be in Buffalo or Baltimore, but I, I I think Baltimore does well when their quarterback's really pissed about his contract. We, we've seen that a couple times in history. I, I think Baltimore is going to put everything together. Um, so your Super Bowl matchup is Baltimore and Philly? I'm going to say Baltimore and the Rams. I think the Rams are going to do it again. Hmm. I, I really, I think Philly's going to be a much better team than people think that they are, and I think that they can, they can beat anybody in the NFC. I just tough to put them past the Rams. I think if I'm, I'm thinking about it now, I, I'm going to go with Kansas City. Um, I'm going to go with Kansas City. I think Kansas City, Mahomes, and those guys are going to be pissed off and really try to show the league that. You know, we can get this done without Tariq Hill. We figured out what teams are trying to do to us defensively. We have a really good plan to deal with it, and and we're going to hammer teams this year. I, so I'm going to go with Kansas City and the AFC. Um, in the NFC, NFC is pretty wide open. Not, uh, you know, in the NFC, I'm going to go with the Rams as well. I'm, I'm going to go with the matchup. Uh, that we thought we were going to get last year uh, with Kansas City and the Rams. And I'm going to go with Kansas City to win the Super Bowl. It, it, it's tough to argue against that. As a couple of people have pointed out, that that's the real hesitation that I have with the Rams is it, everything Matthew Stafford's elbow injury sounds a lot like a torn UCL, which is something that requires Tommy John surgery. And you're not effective without that ligament being attached as a, as a thrower. How much can they scheme around his ability to not be 100% for a full game and probably get progressively worse throwing the ball throughout the game? That's tough. 
That's you know tough. what they're you know what they're going to do first play play action. He's going to throw it eighty five yards in yeah, the he'll air, ball short, incomplete, and now you have everything <laughs> that you need. I know that because it's exactly what Ben did to show that his elbow wasn't bugging him. And four quarters later, the thing snapped, and we didn't see him again for a year. Some would argue we didn't see him again. <laughs> you know, it, it's that, that's like you need your elbow to throw. I know it's not a baseball; it's not the same exact torque on on your arm, but throwing a football requires your elbow and your elbow is also in a very prone position when you're throwing you get hit like that it's it's tough ask joe montana that's how his career ended he got blindsided with his arm up in the air and his elbow snapped yeah it's going to be interesting how this how how this season goes but again to, to to put a little wrapper on the show i am predicting the steelers 24 to 20 uh, our guest Chris Rowling of Bengals Wire predicted the Bengals to win 24-20. And Neil Kulong, my awesome co-host, picked the Bengals to win 16-13. to So I think it's going to be a very entertaining week one. Um, week one football is, 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 is exciting because it's back. It feels like the NFL is actually back. You know, not as if these last two years didn't count, but it actually feels... Like it's back. There, there, there's some excitement. I think more than usual. I think we're going to consider this post-pandemic football. So, you know, I, I think I think everyone's excited uh, for the season to kick off. But before we get out of here, uh, uh, Neil, is there anything you want to tease? I know I'm messing with you because I, I, you know, I, I want to mess with you with that before we got, get out of here. There- I've got a bunch of internal stuff. I, I. Uh... You know, I was hoping for an update from Chris on what he's doing because I'm not even exactly sure. Um, a lot of internal stuff that I got to do. Nothing fun, nothing particularly interesting. I don't know what they're doing. I just know that um, I'm looking forward to football tomorrow night. Um, our own Doug Farrar wrote an article on on Patrick Mahomes that's going to be shown uh, during the broadcast. Nice. Um, tomorrow night, we were contacted by Amazon asking for permission. And I was like, absolutely. Looking forward to seeing that and what should be a great game. You know, it, it's, it's I, I, you know, I, I get why everybody hates Thursday night football. And there's a variety of reasons to hate it, but I, I like it. I, I enjoy primetime games, um, especially now that I'm back in the central time zone. I can enjoy it without destroying my my morning the next day. So I'm looking forward to that. That's what's coming, Lance. Yeah, that's interesting. Before we get out of here, Allie Howard Species said, I like listening to all the calls in empty stadiums, but that's just me being selfish. That was pretty interesting. You could hear every single call. I mean, you could damn near hear a guy belch. Um, you know, it was it was it was pretty weird. Uh, you know, it was pretty weird, but uh, I think that is something that an absolute football nerd like Ali Howard Species, I love that that. You know, hearing in an empty stadium, hearing the calls. Um, before we get out of here, I just want to laugh at the point of uh, the Steeler. Th- this whole fake quarterback controversy was absolutely hilarious, and I, I just love with the clerical era as well as Tomlin naming uh, Trubisky a captain, as if the captain was not going to start week one. I mean, this is just, this is just Tomlin, Tomlin didn't name him. They, they voted him. Down. Oh yeah. They voted. And yes. They probably because they know yes. he's starting. <laughs> so. Yes. Cause they know he's starting. Like if he comes out funny. first, second, third series, if he comes out with, with an audible that we hear cut and paste, something like that, I, Mitch Trubisky will have my forever respect. 
that would be that would be blue twenty two. Control V. Control V. Control, Control v. v. That would be that 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 would be absolutely awesome. But with that, we are going to conclude the program. And as always, tune in, tell a friend, and subscribe. Control V.